This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. The Holy Spirit continues to set hearts on fire with the love of Christ and inspire people to bring the good news to a world that is aching to hear it. Welcome to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. Now, here's your guide on this grand adventure, Catholic singer, songwriter, author, and speaker, Miriam Marston. And welcome back to Blazing the Trail here on Mater Dei Radio. My name is Miriam Marston, and it's wonderful to spend this time with you again as we continue to explore how the church's mission of evangelization is lived out today. And while many things have changed in the world in the last couple of thousand years, there's actually a lot about evangelization that hasn't changed much at all. As my guest this week says, people are hungry in every age for the truth of the gospel. Ryan Pollock is the Director of Evangelization at St. Pius X Parish, and he joins me for this episode, and I was grateful to hear a bit of his story and his journey into the Catholic Church. And on that journey, Ryan shares that he developed a particular affection for the English saints and martyrs. He mentions St. John Henry Newman a few times. Cardinal Newman was a convert to the Catholic Church from Anglicanism, and he was canonized in October of 2019. He wrote plenty on the topics of theology and church, but he was also a poet, and his most famous work, Lead Kindly Light, is a well-known hymn even today. The lyrics are based on Exodus 13, 21-22, which read, The Lord preceded them in the daytime by means of a column of cloud to show them the way, and at night by means of a column of fire to give them light. Thus they could travel both day and night. Neither the column of cloud by day nor the column of fire by night ever left its place in front of the people. So to get us started with this episode, I thought I'd share a version of the hymn Lead Kindly Light by the group called The Lower Lights, and that'll lead us into the interview, and then I'll be back with a quick reflection after the conversation. Choose and see my path, but now 
I'm joined today by Ryan Pollock, who serves as the Director of Evangelization at St. Pius Parish in Portland. Ryan, it is awesome to have you on the show. How are you today? Miriam, I'm having a great time. Um, it's a little bit chilly up here in Portlandia, as you know, but I still got to wear my um, my chacos into work today. Um, so I'm going to enjoy that as long as I as long as I can. We're we're finishing up our uh, we're start. I'm not we're not finishing up anything. We're we're right in the thick of our sacramental prep for this fall, and yeah. all of our team over here is really excited about that. So that's what we're working on today. And um, yeah, glad to be with you. Love it. And Ryan, I've, I've been grateful for the exchange of ideas and, and just insights since we're in, in sort of similar work in our, in our respective parishes. So I'm glad we've been able to have that exchange of ideas around sacramental prep and evangelization. Uh, speaking of evangelization, so Ryan, here on the show, which is all about evangelization, we do our best to highlight stories of how God has concretely acted in a person's life. So are you able to identify some turning points in your own spiritual life where the Holy Spirit was doing something new and different? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I like to say that I grew up a nominal Baptist in a family of lapsed Catholics. Um, oh, wow. I like, to, I like to say that because it's true. Um, on my dad's side, nobody was terribly religious. But on my mom's side, uh, we have a big uh, Catholic Hispanic tradition coming coming from there where a lot of them were sort of catholic by default that's that's how they might answer it so they were culturally catholic but it didn't mean too much to them personally mm-hmm. um, but by the time i was growing up uh, this side of the family had been attending a Baptist church off and on, and they were really taken with a certain pastor there at one time. So we would go there and we would go there a lot, but like we never knew what it meant to be Baptist or why it was important to be Baptist. And in a good evangelical sense, we weren't tied to the brand so much, but my, my family had a lot of culturally Catholic baggage. So when the pastor would talk about how you shouldn't play cards or drink alcohol, my family would just be like, that's not in the Bible. You know, don't, don't, <laughs> don't worry about that so much. Um, so that, that's where we were. Uh, and it wasn't until I, I got to college that I really started asking um, the deeper questions about what it meant to be located somewhere within the or a Christian tradition. So yeah. um, my wife and I uh, really found the Episcopal Church together. She grew up in a Romanian Pentecostal background and in a non-denominational background. Her family's religious history is pretty interesting, too. And so we were like, well, we have to figure out a church to go yeah. to together if we're going to make this work. And there was a beautiful Episcopal Church near our house where we lived. And uh, we started going there. And I was a biblical studies major at the time. I knew I wanted to work in the church in some regard. I never wanted to be a Baptist pastor or something, but I thought this is, this is colleges and this degree is where I can figure it out. So upon us discovering the Episcopal church, all of a sudden that model of church with, with a priesthood and with sacraments insofar as the Episcopal church understand those, those things, right. I have a different view now. Um, but there seemed to be much more to ministry than preparing for an hour long sermon every week that would go on TV and YouTube and stuff like that. Yeah. So I said, yeah, I think this is the more complete picture of what Christian ministry is. And it seems like, um, uh, my degree actually has a telos now. We're actually going in a concrete direction. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that that that's uh, that's one little sketch of um, of our of our early lives there. Um, but in terms of like turning points majorly in my own life through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, um, yeah. there's so many. I, I like to talk about uh, recently. We've had a lot of conversations at St. Pius around youth ministry, and this mm-hmm. is important to me because youth ministers are always really important in my life. Uh, from sixth grade to 12th grade, I had about six youth ministers um, and they came in pairs. So it wasn't like we were switching out one every year, but they came in pairs. And I mean, you know how it is. The the church pays these guys peanuts and they come in as single people and then they get married and have kids and they're like, "Uh oh, I got to provide for my family. I'm out of here. You know, that's a little commercial churches to pay their youth ministers better. You're welcome, youth ministers. Uh, but all of these guys were, were really um, just great examples of the faith to me. And they always had an open door for me to entertain strange theological questions that I had. And uh, these were guys that just like demonstrated love and care for me and um, entertained my curiosities about the faith. So uh, yeah, they, they were um, all of those youth ministers were really helpful in sustaining um, my faith as it grew up. But I might be pretty far afield now of your original question. No, no, it's great. And I'm 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 really picking up on this theme of the curiosity that you had, the questions that you were asking. So when you found yourself in the Episcopalian church, um, first of all, what what drew you to that church? I'm curious. Yeah, absolutely. It was the beauty the beauty of the liturgy. And uh, and the choral tradition. Um, so I had never experienced anything like. Um, and you're you're in Oxford, an Oxfordite. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. So I had never experienced anything like a lessons and carols service before, or the Psalter chanted in four part meterless harmony, or anything like that. Uh, I'd never seen a, a, a Christian worship service that had the smells and bells and the chasubles yeah. and the candles and all of that. The things that. Um, you know, in my former life, I would have considered just kind of the meaningless ritual trappings um, right. but, uh, of, of Christian worship or tradition. But if you look at the scriptures, if you look at the Old Testament, if you look at the New Testament, even you find throughout that God prefers to be worshipped according to a very stylized, ritualized pattern. And so why shouldn't that continue into the 21st century? You know what I mean? And so we had lots of questions about what it meant to be an Episcopalian and Every time the Episcopalians are in the news these days, it's for something deeply unchristian. And so, but, but, but a lot of those uh, obstacles for us were able to be overcome because we were kind of bowled over with the beauty of the uh, ritual liturgical offering mm-hmm. there. And so, um, yeah, it was just, um, it was just astounding. And that choir goes on world tours all the time. And uh, that was really for us a new foray into, um, I think once you start asking, the, as an evangelical, like once you start asking the question critically, what ought Christian worship look like, <laughs> then uh, I think you're like by default going to start moving in a more Catholic direction. And that was certainly our experience. Yeah. And that's, you anticipated my question um, on this theme of questions. What were the questions you were asking that started to open up the pathway into the Catholic Church. Right, right. So in uh, in my degree in biblical studies, like there's this there's it's a guild, you know, like any you know, like any other guild, there's 
um, societies for its uh, propagation and new tools of the trade coming out. And there's a thing called the Society of Biblical Literature, where all the biblical scholars get together. And it's 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 a big Bible nerd festival. You know, they get together and they disclose their uh, latest offerings and their scholarship and their research and things like that. And at my school, we um, everybody was continually t- newest, sexiest, most interesting ideas for what this particular passage of scripture might mean. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you just think you understand St. Paul, but wait until you hear Dr. Such and Such's interpretation, you know? Yeah. And we were always fascinated. What's, is it, is it, it's not the Bereans who are fascinated by um, every new, it's Paul and the Areopagus, right? That group was fascinated with new and interesting ideas. So that was certainly um the school of thought in which I found myself. And I, I started to think, especially as we got in more into church history, like the church um, has had um, possession of and propagation of and transmission of the scriptures for, for 2000 years, you know, like, isn't it a bit naive of us to think that we have a better handle on, on this stuff than the Christians of the early centuries. So I started to look into this and um, this is where, you know, St. John Henry Newman in his early life t- starts to talk about the consensus of the fathers. So mm. if there's, it's awfully hard to find consensus, especially before the, the internet on the fathers. But if there's a theological thought or issue or idea that the early church was really unified on, um, by what right do we sit there and say, oh, no, we, we know better now, you know, we know better. So I started to say, like, what, um, what Christian tradition or traditions has a better handle on what the church believed in antiquity. And at the time, the Episcopal Church made a lot of sense for that reason. Mm-hmm. When did you come into the Catholic Church in the end? We came in August 1st, 2020. Um, we, yeah, it was, a, it was a weird time to come into the church. Um, the, uh, the bishop was saying, we're not sure if we can do regular confirmation oh. services. And at first they said, you can't bring anybody. And then they said, oh, okay, maybe you can bring your sponsors. And so uh, the priest oh. who confirmed us was in a, uh, a very homemade PPE kit. He just went into the, he went to medicalsupply.com and bought every uh, article that he could find. So he anointed us with a Q-tip and he had like 15 masks on and a face shield. And it was just a wild as a wild time. So uh, we were just very grateful to be in the church, um, even under the strangeness of those circumstances. It was, it was really, uh, um, uh, again, Newman talks about the ship coming at home off of a stormy sea into port into Harbor. And that's what it felt like for us. Oh, praise God. Uh, For those who are just tuning in, I'm speaking with Ryan Pollock, who serves as the director of evangelization at St. Pius Parish in Portland. Um, Right now, your role of director of evangelization, what does that entail? Sure. So we're trying to do sacramental preparation for all of our folks and implement this new kind of OCIAC model. And nobody knows what that means. So we're trying to teach them, right? Uh, the church and her acronyms, you know. Um, but we're, we're trying a new model here at St. Pius, which sees not a kind of drop-off culture where parents just leave their kids at the door and, and go have a smoke break or go to Starbucks or something, but really a model where the whole family can enter into the category together. So it's our conviction that um, preparation for First Communion and preparation for confirmation or preparation for, you know, full initiation as adults, all of this should just be like a reflection on the catechism. Uh, Father Mike Schmitz's catechism of the in, in a year is certainly showing, if nothing else, that a huge amount of people are interested in this. So maybe at an earlier time in Christendom, you 
could afford to spend time um, doing the specifics of a single sacrament for like a whole calendar year or something like that and getting really granular with it. But we thought, let's just zoom out. Let's zoom out as far as we can and give everybody a crash course at age appropriate levels in the catechism and just see what what comes out of that. Let's get them comfortable with reading it and understanding it and um, have parents teach it to their children and work on projects together with their children. So that's what we've been working on. And then uh, we're getting that up and running. And as soon as that um, gets going, we're going to be looking for youth ministers and children's ministers to run a lifelong faith formation program here at St. Pius. We had a, a lot of turmoil through COVID and we're still recovering from a lot of that stuff, but it's time to get those ministries back in action. Yeah, no, definitely. You know, um, and I'm realizing that I left off, I think, part of the name. It's St. Pius X, right? St. Pius X, that's right. I know what you meant. Yep. So uh, did you have to learn a little bit about St. Pius X before you started? Um, <laughs> I know embarrassingly little about St. Pius X. I, I will admit he he's a, so I have a little I don't know how you do this, but I have a l- little uh, stack of things to read list yeah. and he's he's in there somewhere. So I'm going to get around <laughs> to him. Um, I know that he was big against the modernists, but yeah. for reasons that I can't quite recall right now so See, this is the first time i get to give a guest homework so yeah great are you are you a fan of, of saint pius the 10th i you know what i don't know that much either so actually you and i both have our homework but sticking with the topic of saints though as you came into the catholic church ryan um what was your what was it like discovering perhaps in a new way the communion of saints were there saints that you started to gravitate towards Oh, absolutely. Um, so, so many. So uh, did I tell you that um, my wife and I are with child? Did you did you know that? No, uh, we are. We're with we're, we're with children times two. Um, so that's that's very exciting. And they're and they're both boys. So we've been thinking a lot about um, Cosmos and Damien lately. We, we thought that would be a, a, a fun a name idea. We're kicking that around. We'll see. But uh, I, I mean, obviously, for me, um, the the saints of the English tradition were, mm. were really important. Um, so uh, Thomas Beckett and Thomas More and, and John Henry Newman and all these folks who uh, grew up uh, under times of really um, unstable state and church relations. And we're mm. trying to figure out what it means to be a faithful Catholic and Christian in the midst of all that. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm about... Um, We've read a Newman biography just about every year. We're halfway through Ian Kerr's biography now, and and we just we just love it. Um, My wife's confirmation saint is Oscar Romero, so she's getting into into him a lot. And watching the his his movie that came out in 1990 or so was really influential for her. Um, But uh, yeah, so like the English saints and the English martyrs have always been really really big and important for us. Absolutely. And what was your confirmation saint? Uh, John Henry Newman. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, he's great. If, um, you know, that's a name that many listeners might be familiar with, but perhaps uh, haven't read much of his um, work. What would you recommend starting out with, with John Henry Newman? If someone wanted to pick up a work by him, where would they start? Oh, great. Great. Uh, well, you have to, you have to be really comfortable, or at least you have to get comfortable with Victorian English. Uh, it's, it's not the, it's, it's going to sound much more Shakespeare, unless you're just used to reading Shakespeare or old English all the time. A lot of his sentences are going to be really long and really tricky. And you're going to wonder why he didn't hire a better editor, you know? So (laughs) unless you're already comfortable reading stuff like this, I might start with just a collection of his poetry, uh, or one of his short stories. So, you know, it's something 
something you can pick up uh, quickly and accessibly mm -hmm. and um, that'd be a good. And so I'm, I'm looking at my shelf right now and he has a great collection. Uh, there's a selection of collected poems by him that you might check out. Uh, and he ranges, he has a really just big literary corpus. So right next to that, I have his essay on development of Christian doctrine, and that is heavy, really theological, heavy lifting and in old English. So there's really something for everybody. But if I were a, a new listener, I would start with either one of his shorter bi biographies, maybe by Eamon Duffy or, um, uh, yeah, some of his collected poetry. So Catholics might be familiar with um, one of his poetic texts, uh, Lead Kindly Light. You might have heard yeah. that in a, in a heard quoted in a sermon one time or set to music in a hymn. Um, he was a really prolific uh, hymn writer and, and, and poet and all of that. Okay, that's great. Now we're giving everyone homework. This is wonderful. Yeah, good deal. Good deal. <laughs> Ryan, uh, we've got a few minutes left, and I always love to ask my guest where you're seeing signs of hope these days in your work and in the community. Where's that coming up? Yeah, it's funny to me when I hear people um, complain and, and bemoan the church's decline in the West. Um, I think if you come on over to the West side of Portland, you're going to find that we're really bursting at the seams over here. And uh, we have, you know, a thousand plus people in, in this building every weekend and four masses. And our uh, we had to close down our sacrament classes because we were running out of room in our spaces. You know what I mean? Wow. Wow. And so uh, people are always hungry in every age for the truth of the gospel. And you just have to be there and make yourself accessible and they will show up. You know, they, they will come and find you. Um, now, if you've made your church more about being a social club or more about being a political activist group or more about something else other than than Christ and the sacraments, you might see decline. <laughs> yeah. But but if you're trying to your best to offer the things that Jesus offers, uh, you're going to you're going to see some really profound growth and special things happen. So um, I'm not responsible for any of this. I just showed up and it was all thrown into my lap. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But at least on the West side, um, uh, Portlander Catholics have very little to complain about. This is a special time to be doing ministry. Uh, I agree. I'm on the West side. I see good things happening. So yeah. I'm right yeah. there with you. Um, Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. May God continue to bless you, your growing family. That's beautiful news. And may he continue to bless uh, the good work you're doing at St. Pius X Parish. Thanks, Miriam. Always good to talk to you. God bless you. We started out this episode with some poetic words from St. John Henry Newman, so I thought I'd share a passage from the homily at the canonization mass back in 2019, where Pope Francis said the following, We need to be healed of our lack of confidence in ourselves, in life, in the future. We need to be healed of our fears and the vices that enslave us, of our introversion, our addictions, and our attachment to games, money, television, mobile phones, to what other people think. The Lord sets our hearts free and heals them if only we ask Him. Only if we say to Him, Lord, I believe You can heal me. Dear Jesus, heal me from being caught up in myself. Free me from evil and fear. The lepers called on the name of Jesus. Later, a blind man and a crucified thief would do so. All of them needy people calling on the name of Jesus, which means God saves. They call God by name directly and spontaneously. To call someone by name is a sign of confidence and it pleases the Lord. That is how faith grows through confident, trusting prayer. 
Prayer in which we bring to Jesus who we really are with open hearts, without attempting to mask our sufferings. Each day, let us invoke with confidence the name of Jesus, God saves. Let us repeat it. That is prayer. To say Jesus is to pray. And prayer is essential. Indeed, prayer is the door of faith. Prayer is medicine for the heart. Again, that's from the homily at the 2019 canonization mass for St. John Henry Newman, who was canonized alongside four others. And I hope we take this to heart, this invitation to invoke with confidence the name of Jesus. I mean, that's really where missionary discipleship begins. We call upon and lean on the name of Jesus throughout the day, throughout our work, through our good moments and our tough moments. So let's keep repeating the name together with confidence as we move forward in hope. Thanks so much for tuning in. Again, my name is Miriam Marston, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue to explore the beauty of the gospel and the call to share that gospel with the world. Until then, stay well and stay close to Christ. God bless you all. You've been listening to Blazing the Trail, a weekly show dedicated to the church's mission of evangelization. For more information on Miriam Marston and her work, plus an archive of our past shows, Visit us online at matradayradio.com or download the Hail Mary Media app. Blazing the Trail is produced at the studios of Matraday Radio in Portland, Oregon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through matradayradio.com or the Hail Mary Media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.